everybody to the 11th fabulous edition of the Metabolist 2 podcast starring me Ben and David excellent so and, Ben yes David monsters oh I love them <laughs> we've decided that the master is a little bit of both but do we have any pure monsters well of course the greatest monsters of all still unsurpassed and I, they're all, they are also villains as well which I think also makes them a bit like the master they combine the characteristics of a monster with also the characteristics of a villain and that is the beloved Daleks who mm. um, continue to be awesome um, never stop being awesome Daleks that's what I say um, <laughs> because you are just the worst the worst of all the villains. So I think, um, yeah, let's let's talk about how great the Daleks are. Okay. Why are the so, Daleks? Why are the Daleks so good, David? What's I, what's what's your take? I mean, I'm I, I'm, assu- I'm assuming that, like all right-thinking people, you're a fan <laughs> of the Daleks. They're, eh, they're okay. Oh. <laughs> I'm wondering if the Daleks are more of a British thing than anything else. Because, really? Yeah. Oh, good. We found another like American <laughs> who versus English who thing. Because yeah, ah, we love the Daleks over here. Mm-hmm. I mean, Daleks are okay, but they're kind of boring in some ways. No. And <laughs> yeah. Really? Oh my god! Yeah. Tell, tell, tell um, uh, well, okay. Tell me more about what is wrong with the Daleks, and then I will tell you what's right with the Daleks. Okay. Well, there's nothing really wrong with the Daleks except that they're very, very no, so predictable. I'm just going to interrupt. That would be a great title for a for a Dalek series. Like, what's wrong with the Daleks? <laughs> They're all friendly and... <laughs> the right of the Daleks or something. Anyway, carry on. Yeah, yeah. Okay, tell me what's wrong with them. Uh, they're, so, yeah, they're okay. They're a bit monotonous. Okay. They're mm-hmm. a bit one note and... Uh, Gosh. Uh, they kind of got boring when they introduced Davros. Whoa. They've always become second fiddle to Davros, except for rare moments like in the new series with mm-hmm. uh, the Eccleston Dalek story. Mm-hmm. Daleks have been accompanied by Davros, yep. more or less, and with Davros, they are the wingmen. They're second fiddle. They just don't measure up to Davros for the interest, and I think we had some really good Dalek stories in the 60s, the two Whitaker stories to kind of end all Dalek stories, Power of the Dalek and Evil of the Dalek, but after Genesis... I'm not sure we've had a good pure Dalek story, and even Genesis isn't really a Dalek story as much as it is a Davros story. Well, as usual, I am going to have to agree with you 100%. That's, <laughs> that's exactly, I, I, you, couldn't, you literally could not be more correct in that. I mm-hmm. think what's ironic about the Daleks is that Davros is totally overused, and mm-hmm. I think people... People who don't know enough, and I think it's, it's, think it's indicative that, that when RTD brought back the Daleks, he did not bring back Davros initially, mm-hmm. and I think that's that's indicative that he certainly knew that this was a problem as well. Right, and I mean, no disrespect to the many fine actors who've portrayed no. Davros, but Davros is a scene stealer. He is a scene stealer, and you know, again, what's what's crazy? It's it's, and I think you know, we we may have to make a list of these, and as I said on a previous podcast, devote a podcast to the story canon that has changed because of the mm-hmm. inavailability of actors. Mm-hmm. Now, Michael Wisher knocked it out of the park um, with the... With Genesis, with Genesis. Yeah. And that is, is just an amazing 
performance. I think I would say, you know, obviously I watch a lot of genre movies, um, a lot of genre TV. You know, I'm really used to people acting with a mask on. Right. But that is the best made up mask acting that has ever been done. Mm -hmm. He's the literally that's that's an Oscar winning performance, basically, in, mm -hmm. in, in, in my <laughs> book. And then, you know, he was not available for Destiny, right. for, for Destiny, the Daleks, you know, so they slapped mm -hmm. the mask on some other guy who's unfortunately Luckily, I cannot remember his name because um, he wasn't very good. And then, you know, we slam straight into the ridiculousness of um, of, uh, of uh, Eric Saywood's nonsense, basically. <laughs> so yeah, so I mean, let's 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 maybe save Davros for yeah, another yeah, time. Yeah, good idea. Again, Genesis of the Daleks is such a pivotal event. It really changes. It really changes. Changes, changes everything. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, and it changes everything for the worse. Mm -hmm and also changes things for the better. It certainly is the worst for the Daleks. The Daleks don't really ever recapture their 60s glory. And I know you're a fan of the Pertwee era, but I'm not sure Pertwee really had a good Dalek story. Oh, really? So you're going to discount yeah. Death to the Daleks and... Um, uh, uh, Planet, of the, Planet Daleks of the Daleks and Day of the Daleks? Yeah, Day of the Daleks, all three awesome. I mean, again, Planet of the Daleks has a bit of a dodgy beginning but god the mm -hmm. Daleks are invisible and mm -hmm. uh, I don't know the people float up in a floating thing through a pipe and there's like ice I love that one it's a good story but I'm not sure it's a great groundbreaking Dalek story yeah. the plot is reused from the first Dalek story well yeah it is it is it, it's a bit I mean you know for, for all his faults I mean Terry Nation was able to come up with terrifically exciting well, certainly for nine-year-olds, and also for almost fifty-year-olds, mm -hmm. um, terrifically exciting serialized drama. So yeah, it's it's. I think it stands up in terms of like week by week. And in Terry Nation's defense, there's a whole new crop of kids who are watching it. So why not retell the same story? Because it's never going to be repeated. That's true. Because home video doesn't mm -hmm. it doesn't exist. Um, I love. I also love um, Death of the Daleks. I think I love the space plague. I love the planet. Mm -hmm. I think the excellence is superbly creepy. Mm -hmm. Yes, the puzzles are a bit pants in terms of getting into the castle, but they mm -hmm. always are. Well, the puzzles are really good when they reused it and. Uh... Pyramid of Mars, so... <laughs> exactly. I, I like Day of the Daleks because I think originally, as far as I know my Doctor Who lore, that was just going to be a kind of a pure kind of time travel story and... And they just, I think it shows. Really, I think the Daleks add yeah. something to it. I think the Daleks mm, add, a, okay. add a real kind of 1984 boot stamping on a human face forever kind of, you know, horror element mm -hmm. to it. So the whole, you like the whole quizzling type humans. Yeah, and, okay. yeah. and I, I mean, I like, I like the idea, again, of Daleks being, you know, O'Brien style, 1984, just uh, horrific. This is how it's going to be. This is the end of the human race. Mm -hmm. You are now part of the Dalek Empire. It's, I, right. I, I, I find that very, very effective, actually. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. I don't know. I think it, it's a it's a really strong story, Day of the Daleks, with the whole time travel element, with the gorillas going back yep. in time trying to stop, change their own future. But as a Dalek, pure Dalek story, right, right, right. I think what we really were deprived of in the early seventies was the Dalek War that was really being hinted at with Frontier in Space. Right. Can you imagine if we had? A full BBC uh, special effects of the early seventies. I'm imagining it right of, now. <laughs> of of a Dalek, a draconian Earth war. I think that would have been 
really impressive for the time. So like a Space 1999 UFO, like a Fanderson, like a, yeah, like a Jerry Anderson even, level kind of model work. Right. Just or just really kind of, you know, pushing the boat out. Yeah. Or just think of a, the model work they did with Ambassadors of Death. It right. Just, right. It would have looked amazing. Now, it would have looked, it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have been the level of uh, Star Wars level effects, which would have come four years later or right, right. You know, five years later. But for... BBC and for what people were really looking for with the Dalek War, it sure wasn't Planet of the Daleks. No, though. Again, I'll have to say, you know, my nine-year-old self, or however old I was when that show was brought, because I think it was about nine. Mm-hmm. Obviously, this is just appealing to a very long time ago now. Right. We we role played. We played that show over and over again hmm. my friends we just love that the creeping into the dalek base and being invisible and getting disguised did you have purple fuzzy robes or something <laughs> I, if, if, uh, we, we 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 used our duffel coats as, ah, um, okay as as purple fuzzy <laughs> robes and i think one of the weaknesses of, of the daleks actually and maybe we'll talk about this is that is making them equivalent to the nazis and i think that actually mm-hmm. kind of downplays the daleks but that uh, Planet of the Daleks is a great kind of escape from cold. It's Second World War, you know, resistance cell, French resistance, right. secret army, go on a secret mission to destroy the thing. I mean, it's just, it plays into that whole kind of British 1970s boyhood stuff, which, which was perfect. So I rewatched the Daleks or the Mutants or the original, mm-hmm. original 1964 serial of the Daleks. Yeah, and. Right. The whole Nazi Third Reich element, I think, was missing, or at least wasn't as blatantly obvious yeah. as yep. was in Dalek Invasion of the Earth. Yeah, yeah. I think I think you're right, and I think actually, you know, when they go full bore on Daleks and Nazis, which is mm-hmm. in I, to me is Remembrance of the Daleks, which I think is actually a, a quite a mm-hmm. pretty weak. I know many fans mm-hmm. uh, enjoy it, but I find it a pretty weak tale because mm-hmm. it, it, it really takes... It's a, okay, the Daleks are actually Nazis. Mm-hmm. And you know what? They're more than Nazis. Mm-hmm. I think what what works best with Daleks as Nazis is actually Genesis, where the imagery around oh. the Daleks mm-hmm. and the bunker and everyone's right. dressed like Nazis and right. the scientists working on a secret project and there's a missile, mm-hmm. that actually works best. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously, and I think this is true for, for many fans, Genesis of the Daleks is in the top ten of classic who and i think it's deservedly there what what really really works for me for in terms of genesis is genius Mm. and also really kind of explains the daleks for me is this idea that um find out how to express it right the realization that you get when you have this figure of davros and this is why it's such a shame that davros is becomes this kind of supernatural um, supervillain figure rather than the sad pathetic man in a wheelchair which is what he actually is mm-hmm. there's an extraordinary kind of hatred of the disabled which runs throughout the Daleks which I think is where their fascism comes from mm-hmm. um, and that that hatred of the disabled is actually their own self-hatred mm. and if you want to kind of psychoanalyze the Daleks um, which um, I like to do the reason why they hate everyone else is because they know they're no good and they and the reason why they are ostensibly keen on destroying everybody and kind of the purity of the Dalek race is because they know that they themselves are hopelessly crippled and hopelessly inferior, basically. 
They're a bit um, rubbish, as Bill said in their preview trailer. <laughs> they are a bit rubbish. And the, you know, and the, the reason why they're so angry mm-hmm. and hate-filled is because they know they can't climb stairs. And what's so genius about the whole Davros thing is that, is, and again, why it's such a pity that Davros has you know, become a, a supervillain, is you look at Davros, who is both a man who is being crippled and to an extent that where he is... Uh, paraplegic in a wheelchair with only one functioning limb Mm -hmm. he is so uh, obsessed with his own genius Mm -hmm. that he designs his master race exactly in his own image Mm -hmm. so he designs a master race of creatures who only only have one operating limb Mm -hmm. and you'll see that that, that the Daleks suck an arm which again is a pathetic way to kind of manipulate things is the same arm as Davros's working arm and the Daleks only have one eye. Right. Davros only has one eye. So what basically what, what Davros has done is he designed the Daleks to be like himself. Mm-hmm. So th- there's a great... Uh, psychologically, the Daleks are amazing because that's where their kind of hatred comes from. It's because it's self-hate. They know right. that they're no good. Um, <laughs> and, and because they're no good, they want to destroy everybody else because they have this incredible inferiority mm. complex. And that's why I think they're kind of exciting in that sort of way. Because actually, I think in some ways, I mean, I think as, as psychologically complex as, you know, a children's adventure series can, can right. ever be, I think they're relatively psychologically complex and interesting. And that's what I find interesting that's about that them. they're dealing with their inferiority complex, lashing out that way. Look at the actual Nazis, you know. I mean, what's so extraordinary about the Nazis in some way, you know, the Nazi leadership in Germany in the 1930s, you know, they were not tall, blonde, blue-eyed errands right. at all. They were like stunted, dark-haired, girls had a club mm-hmm. foot, you know, etc., etc., etc. And again, it's, you know, it's kind of self-hatred and wish mm. fulfillment. And I think that's one of the things that I find exciting about the Daleks. And I think when Dalek series kind of series is, when Dalek stories touch on that, that's when I get mm-hmm. kind of excited by them. Well, the Dalek stories that I like are the two Whitaker stories mm-hmm. in Troughton. Yep. And those Dalek stories show the Daleks at their conniving, most twisted, plotting, developing a sinister plan to get what they want, manipulative. The Daleks of later years are more seek, locate, destroy, exterminate, exterminate. They're kind of mobile tanks, exactly. Which they've always been, but they're, they're not sophisticated. They're not sly. They're not... You know, puzzle masters sitting, or the spiders sitting in the middle of their web. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The Daleks are more of a brute force tool, and they become almost caricatures of their earlier selves in the later Dalek stories and in, into the 21st century. And I think I think they're forced to become caricatures again because of the over reliance on Davros as the kind mm-hmm. of the relatable. Um, human face of the Daleks when actually mm-hmm. in some ways I actually find him less relatable as a character than Daleks which as I said you know those Whitaker stories are oh, some these amazing conniving super scientists mm-hmm. um, these kind of Mekong um, uh, Mekong figures um, I think I've only listened once to uh, Power um, okay but I, oh so the DVD coming out will be yeah it's really exciting new for me. viewing for you yeah and I've, I've, I've but I've Evil I've, I've given a couple of listens to um, mm-hmm. and I have the novelization as well and I, I'm, a, right. I'm a big fan of Evil I think Evil the Dance is great and mm-hmm. I think the, you know, the Victorian setting yeah I, and, it's always a disappointment when I think what is it episode 2 that survives and you sit down and you watch it and you just want to keep watching it because yeah, yeah. Troughton 
Martin is electric in it. Yep. The Daleks are well placed. The whole setup of uh, Maxtable and uh, Waterfield are. It's a really good story, and I really would like to have seen you know trying to uh, run Jamie through his paces, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Troughton trying to out manipulate or out uh, out plot the Daleks and trying to figure out what they're up to. Absolutely, absolutely. It, yeah, it's a it's a very good story, and it's I you know the audio soundtrack is on constant. Or pretty regular rotation here at uh, Chateau David. So, <laughs> Chateau David. Um, yeah, yeah. No, and the, and the you know the time the the, the, you know, the Daleks can travel through time. You know they've got mm-hmm. they're, they're built up to be you know a really impressive and hard to beat enemy. Um, right. And I think again, you know what's what's exciting about I think the pin for me, which is the pinnacle of, of Dalek stories, which I which is going to disagree with you slightly it's still genesis of the daleks i think you know what's exciting about that of course in a kind of a fan way is that the doctor is sent on a mission by the time lords to kind of destroy the daleks because the daleks are going to become the only creature in the universe etc 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 and if you believe your your rtd theories um you know that's the first shot in the time war Mm -hmm. and the reason why davros then keeps turning up in every subsequent dalek story is because of genesis of the daleks um, and the mm. reason why... Well, of course, because that's where he's introduced. But also in, you know, in the actual <laughs> canon as well, you know, the, the, mm. the way that the fourth Doctor changes the, di- the, the Dalek timeline is to introduce mm. Davros. Um, mm. And, okay. and if, if the Doctor had failed in his mission in Genesis of the Daleks, we'd never see Davros again. Mm-hmm. And Davros is actually both within the canon of the story. Davros is the Dalek's weakness. But also, in actual fact, in terms of watching the shows, Davros is the Dalek's weakness, which is kind of like, kind of neat and kind of pleasurable to think about for me, anyway. I don't like the... I, I guess I didn't... How should I say? <laughs> I, I don't like that they gave time travel to the Daleks. I think it was added for... Was it in The Chase? The Chase, yes, when the Daleks started, yeah. started traveling in time. And The Chase is a rather... Uh, to use a Monty Python phrase, that's a rather silly story, it is, isn't it? It is, it is silly, yes. Yep. And it may have been really exciting for the children of the 1960s in Britain to be watching the... It's the Keys of Marinus. Uh, it's like, you know, what what uh, exciting thing is going to happen this week? Right. Again, it shows there's no show Bible. There's not a lot of planning or thinking of the consequences of these actions. But why give Daleks time travel? You would see the Daleks everywhere you know why wouldn't the daleks go back for, uh, stone age and take over earth then and it's just mm-hmm. it, the idea that the daleks are time travelers and they develop time travel technology so easily right 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 uh, there was some thought placed into why and how the t- time lords gallifreyans develop time technology now it's all gobbledygook blather yeah, right. to explain it but with the daleks it's it becomes much more simplistic. It becomes the cheapening of time travel, which I guess if you're in a time travel show, well, sure, why not have yeah. everyone with vortex manipulators on their wrist and be able to jump anywhere? I liked having only the Doctor be able to time travel, and it, barring that, with Sherwin and Gang's introduction in the war games of the whole Time Lord society, right of a whole society being able to time travel, it takes away something from the Doctor's uniqueness a little bit that we have time travel in other races, monsters, people. 
it cheapens the hook, I guess, for me. I, I think I am, I'm less concerned by the Daleks' ability to, to time travel. I, mean, I think mm-hmm. they have a proven history of, of being great scientists. And I think I can certainly believe at a certain point in the history of the Daleks, they were able to develop time travel. Um, I mean, it seems entirely okay. likely, um, given their you know established mm-hmm. positions as super scientists. I think it's right. a lot more unlikely that the Sontarans have um, time travel, mm-hmm. and I find that more irritating. I and mean, certainly, even though I kind of do like the show, I'm kind of disappointed that it was the Sontarans who chose to invade Gallifrey in the, in the invasion of time right. rather than, I don't know, the Daleks. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> though I guess the... Well, the, was, the, they had the costumes available and... Exactly. And again, I think that they would have really had a hard time in that abandoned hospital. It was Daleks trying to get through the swimming pool room and kind of up and down those stairs. That really well, the Santarans tripped over the chairs and so... That's <laughs> <laughs> a great moment. Um, <laughs> oops, there's the chair. <laughs> if I'd have been Santaran, I'd have turned around and blasted that chair into oblivion because I'd been angry with it. <laughs> the woman kind of picked it up and kind of smashed it against the ground. <laughs> well, when they up- upscale it for Blu-ray release, they'll uh, have the special edition where the t- exactly. Santaran turns around and blasts the chair. <laughs> angrily kicks the chair um so yeah so i yeah and i think time travel is obviously the great hook Mm -hmm. of doctor who as a show it's really really difficult to make it work though and Mm -hmm. i'm kind of dreading when we're going to have an episode of this podcast about time travel because it really doesn't work that well Mm -hmm. even for the doctor it doesn't work that well and it certainly doesn't work that well for everyone else to have it too but you know these things it's it's the 60s show of the week it's for kids Mm -hmm. why shouldn't the doctors sure you know it's sort of like sure time travel travel, right yeah they can have time travel i'll have to say the uh the time travel that the daleks use in uh, evil of the daleks using mirrors is the greatest kind of time travel i love that mm-hmm. that that is you know this and i think you know people criticize whitaker as as as, as you know having kind of a magical attitude to science well I magic just, or alchemical i think he's a, he's an alchemist alchemical yeah alchemical, yeah exactly which i think just makes that genius that the time travel is so mysterious and so so much an advanced technology and we've talked about this before mm-hmm. that it is indistinguishable from magic well and yeah yes you can use mirrors mm-hmm. to time travel why can't you? maxwell and uh, waterfield were doing experiments with static and that's how they attract the uh, yeah. ad- attention of the dogs with static electricity so exactly again exactly. it's the whole mercurial alchemical type approach mm-hmm. to time travel that it is magical and uh, well for uh, showrunner like Stephen Moffat, it's really an emphasis on yeah. the, sto- uh, the fairy story, the the storybook ending, that type of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, just as a complete sidebar, and um, um, we may <laughs> may want to cut this out because it's not going to make sense pretty much to anyone but me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've just come back from a road trip, which I did about a month ago, to Salt Lake City, where my lovely wife and I went to visit a very famous artwork in the Great Salt Lake called the Spiral mm, Jetty, yes. which was built by a man called Robert Smithson in the late uh, 1960s. And fascinating thing, if you and I, obviously uh, uh, this was in my mind because this is the first time I've actually visited Spiral Jetty, but Smithson, who was an absolutely key figure in contemporary art in the late 20th century, very, very pivotal, extremely important, died sadly in a plane crash at age 35 in the early 1970s. So never really, uh, we, we only have a, 
half of his life of work. He did a whole series of artworks in the late 1960s, almost exactly contemporaneously with Evil of the Daleks. Really? About with mirrors uh, and time travel. <laughs> Interesting. Yes, he took a bunch of mirrors to Mexico and to the Mayan Peninsula, and there's a whole series of work of, of artworks mm -hmm. that, that are about alchemical methods of traveling through time using using mm -hmm. mirrors. Now, is there been any research or any evidence of cross-pollination either to Whitaker or from Whitaker? Well, you know what? I would love to have the time to sit down and find out whether Robert Smithson was in London or in Britain, you know, in the late 1960s and may have sat down and watched Evil of the Daleks, mm -hmm. which is entirely possible because, you know, famous artists travel. Right. Or wouldn't actually even more bizarrely, in some way, David Whitaker was aware of quite arcane developers, developments in American contemporary art in the late 1960s. I'd have to do some more research on David Whitaker and his interests and the kind of right. things that he's read. But I do know, because Robert Smithson's library was gifted to, uh, well, I can't remember who, who gave it to you now, but it's, it's, it's available. You, and he was a voracious reader mm -hmm. and big fan of science fiction. Mm, okay. Um, had a huge collection of science fiction paperbacks. And absolutely, if he had been in London... Right during Evil of the Daleks, right. he would have sat down and watched that show. Mm -hmm. So, I, I don't know. You I need to get his calendar, his day planner. I do, and I, I, I'm, I'm actually really, really tempted to actually contact the Robert Smithson archive mm -hmm. and see whether they have, you know, his travel plans. Um, when was Evil of the Daleks? 1968? Oh, er 67? earlier, I think. Uh, let me check. Do-do-do-do-do. It was 1967, uh, May, June, and July of 1967. You know what? I might actually, I might actually see whether I can email the Robert Smithson Foundation and see whether they can tell me where he was right. in, in, in summer 1967. If, and if he was in London, then that would be like, whoa, mind blown. Well, would, if Smithson was actually experimenting with time travel, maybe he was. Oh. <laughs> you tried to the Daleks. There you go. We have a Robert Smith and Dalek crossover. Oh, oh, I'd love to write that big finish. A celebrity historical, <laughs> if there ever was one. <laughs> obscure celebrity historical. Well, he wouldn't be obscure after getting exposure from Doctor Who. That's true. That's true. Um, so where were we? That's that's uh, a little I really, bit of a really tangent, wanted, but that's all right. Really wanted to to, to talk about that because that was actually just mm -hmm. really exciting me when I was when I was thinking about it. So of the black and white Doctor Who Daleks. Dalek stories, mm -hmm. what which one do you think is the most Dalek-y or the best Dalek one? Well, I think I mean even though you know I've only ever listened to it, I think Evil is 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 great and completely okay. up there. Um, I have a huge mm -hmm. soft spot for Invasion because. It's just the Daleks, you know, turning up, and they're they're just kind of. Uh, and again, I, I mainly experienced mm -hmm. the, the Dalek invasion of Earth through the novelization, and again, they're just so incredibly evil and horrible, mm -hmm. and it, it's great. So when you were reading the Dalek uh, invasion of the Earth paperback yeah. from Target, were you able to picture, you know, Trafalgar Square and that? I mean, that would be cultural touchstone. Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah, and, you know, and they're Bedfordshire, and, you know, they're digging up Bedfordshire, it's like, wow, like Milton Keynes, all that kind of stuff, wow, they're digging a big hole there. They're kind of, wow, what's the word, uh, they're kind of cyberpunky before cyberpunk, you know, they have this, like, gross pet, the, the slither that, that um, mm -hmm. or slither, or however you, however you pronounce it, you know, that kind of eats people in there, 
horrible concentration camp and yeah right. I, I just I, I, I really liked it and I, I mean, mm-hmm. obviously the novelization is a lot more slick um, than the than the TV show and also the movie as well so so let's see John Peel wrote uh, a few of the novelizations and Whitaker wrote Dalek who did the Dalek invasion of the I earth I think when it was um, well, I'm gonna have to look that up as well I think it's I think it's Terrence Sticks actually Okay. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's Terrence So Dicks. it would have came out in the seventies. Yeah, it's one. Of, it's one of his early ones. Right. What's your favorite of the sixties? Yeah. Oh, power or evil? I think they're tied. It just depends on the mood that I'm in. Yeah. I think I give more play to power just because I like the early Troughton. I I like how stories begin, and so I like the beginning. I like the the regeneration story changeover, but I would switch over to evil too just as easily. So those two make a pair that i just would not want to split up i really right really like those two dalek stories i think those are the two best dalek stories that we have and it's a shame that we've lost the visuals yeah, for it it's so. a shame do you rate any, any of the perks i mean so the daleks t- turn into color i mean do you rate any of those the most enjoyable of the pertwee ones are day and planet death of the daleks i just don't really think is a really great story at all mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. sort of like okay the daleks weapons don't work but how come they can move uh, oh, that's true <laughs> uh just i i don't know it just is the same story again yeah. and it just isn't that great for me i don't know yeah it, uh, I've, of the two Tom Baker ones, obviously Genesis is, is significantly better. Although the Movellans look pretty cool when I was really a little kid. I, yeah, I was they just were just at the point where, like, oh my god, <laughs> they look like things. Boney they M, like, like a bad, and I love Boney M. Um, they're like a bad version. Oh, actually, maybe that's why I didn't like the Movellans because, like, they're just ripping off Boney M. How dare they? <laughs> so, and again you know it's like ah oh, it's Davros and, and he doesn't look like Davros <laughs> in retrospect it would have been great to have just a pure Dalek story yeah. uh, and not a we have to find Davros because we're we are now robots and we are stuck in this war and, I mean I can actually still remember the crushing sense of disbelief I have like what Davros is still alive he totally got exterminated at the end of mm-hmm. the last one so how can he still be alive let me just make a quick play for um, Death to the Daleks obviously it's got the kind of Terry Nation one million dollars problem you know right. or what is it like there's like thousands of people are dying you know, well that's not actually a, that that many people like you know like the, right. the massive Dalek army of like a couple of thousand right. Daleks so he's again he's got that one million dollars <laughs> Uh, Doctor Evil kind of um, problem going there, right. but I just think it's awesome too. One because the Daleks like okay, our weapons don't work. We're just going to have machine guns. I'm again <laughs> so disappointed that <laughs> we're going to have a little model of the TARDIS. <laughs> and we, and we hate the Doctor so much that every Dalek saucer is equipped with a model of ta- of the TARDIS so we can use it for target practice. I can just imagine like Dalek slaves at some hideous factory on some planet somewhere like churning out endless, endless models of the TARDIS um, for, to equip replique, replique. to equip every Dalek saucer with like a kind of a hate object. Uh-huh. But I was disappointed, again, one of my disappointments with the Victory of the Daleks, the Gators Daleks in the Second World War. Right. Ah, oh, missed the chance. Yep. Equip the Daleks with machine guns. Oh, ah. Why didn't they do that? Mm-hmm. Well, um, he's too busy thinking of Spitfires in the space. Space Spitfires, which was, which was, I'm sorry. I mean, I love Spitfires as much as anyone, 
but Space Spitfires is kind of a dumb idea. Right. Um, but yeah, great missed, one horrible missed opportunity to not have the Daleks, you know, with, with machine guns. I would just mm-hmm. imagine how they could have done that, you know, with like shell casings spilling out of the things. It would have been awesome, but right. never mind. So yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's a couple of reasons why I think I like, and, and again, I, Death of the Daleks hit me at just the right age. Um, right. And I can remember. Was that your first Dalek story that you saw on telly then? The first Dalek story I saw would, would have been Planet, okay. then Death. Then Genesis, and that's right. you, that's a triumvirate of, of Dalek mm-hmm. awesomeness right there, basically. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, and so growing up, did you guys play Daleks? Or? Oh yeah, okay, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Were, well, how do you play? I mean, well, how do you play Daleks? <laughs> well, you run after the people going exterminate, exterminate, <laughs> okay, exterminate, to such an extent. That the teachers come out of the teacher's lounge, extinguishing their cigarettes as they do, <laughs> and yell at you to stop making <laughs> such a bloody racket. Um, which, which happened to us on a number of occasions. The teachers, you know how many teachers hate to emerge from their teacher's lounge? Absolutely. Um, with that fug of cigarette smoke that kind of mm-hmm. billows out of the door in the 1970s. But yeah, no, we were making such a noise in the playground, being Daleks, that the teachers came and told us to shut up. <laughs> they, they were secretly backing Mary Whitehouse. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, I mean, we, yes, uh, uh, Daleks were great. I mean, Daleks okay. are, are great. And you, can, and you can make a Dalek sound, you know, it's very mm-hmm. easy, exterminate. Right. Well, I'm just wondering, because mm-hmm. there's a lot of imagination going into that type of play, because there wasn't a lot of choice. I guess in the early 60s, they had the Dalek dress-up costume, and there was some uh, Rolican-type Daleks, but it wasn't with... See, I I grew up like in the Star Wars toy era, so play was definitely had little replicas of the main characters and Mm stormtroopers and that type of stuff. And that type of play where you uh, envisioned yourself as 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 a Dalek wasn't i think really as common it wasn't the cops and robbers type playground type thing it was more these are the objects and we're going to reenact the movie and i think i think that's i mean that would be something interesting to do some more research on in some Mm -hmm. ways my kind of prime play time or playing as a kid actually sort of fell between the end of dalek mania which is kind of you know 1960 Five, I suppose, is when Dalek, and I, I was born, uh, spoiler alert, I was born in 1966. Okay. <laughs> um, kind of falls between 1966 when I was born, right. and then Star Wars 1977, when I would have been 11, right. which is when kind of, you know, toys really exploded and the Star Wars action figures, right. become, you know, merchandising becomes huge again. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were no Doctor Who figures right. after Dalek Mania. You, you right. could not play with a Doctor Who. Right. Well, I mean, the Palatoy ones, I think they arranged, they, they, I, and I did have a Palatoy Dalek, mm-hmm. um, and then the Dennis Fisher, Tom Bakers, um, but I kind of rejected them because I didn't feel they were accurate enough. Yeah, they but... looked nothing like Tom Baker at yeah, all. Yeah, so. yeah. So we did we did just a huge amount of just pretending to mm-hmm. be the Doctor and pretending to be Daleks. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I think this is something that's been said by others. I'm, I'm not, this isn't an, an original thought, sadly, but I think one of the geniuses of the later Pertwee era mm-hmm. and absolutely the Tom Baker era is that the genius of having some of the, those stories take place on earth right um or in quarries is because you could go to a wood mm-hmm. and go to a quarry right um, and be the doctor because that's exactly what the doctor does 
Okay. Um, so there was a there was an abandoned quarry near where uh, I lived with my family, and and you could go and play the Android Invasion, right? Exactly the same <laughs> as the Android Invasion was on television, right? It's the same wood. It's the same quarry. It's mm-hmm. it's and that's one of actually one of the one of the kind of weird geniuses of Doctor Who in terms of kids relating to it is it's shot in the same places where we play. The alien planets were just in the backyard. Exactly. You know, the alien planets are completely relatable, and if you want to play being on an alien planet, you can do it exactly as realistically mm-hmm. as the as the Doctor does it. So the wonderful relationship that Elizabeth Sladen had with Tom Baker, Sarah and the fourth Doctor, right. that's that's such a that's a playful relationship. It's right. a relationship of two kids playing. Right. And uh, very, very replicable for children. Um, right. I think is one 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 thing why why I think Doctor Who was so successful, especially in the nineteen seventies. Because children could easily relate to it. And when you had it in the 80s with Sayward, he was going for a much older audience. He was going for the teens who had grown for up. For people with, who didn't play. Right. Who well, just watched. Right. And who made snarky remarks or got yes. really into sci-fi and bought yeah. movie tickets. And yeah. it was a different... Yeah. It was a different audience that 80s Who was catering to. And when it's no longer a family program, no longer tea time television, you lose audience share, perhaps. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, I'm in general, I am, and I can understand, uh, I can absolutely understand why this is the case, but I think it is a mistake for popular culture to endlessly, not endlessly, to. uh, what I think it does, and I think it still does it, to endlessly chase after teens, for teens to be the market that we need. Because um, I actually think teens in general, even though we chase our, after them relentlessly, are interested in other things than mm-hmm. sitting down and watching TV. And I think they are snarky, horrible people. Um, well, that's what teenagers are like. I mean, that I, I was one. <laughs> I was snarky and horrible when I was a teen. You were, um, you know. I, I was very I, pleasant. <laughs> I, I can't speak for your kids, but my kids are certainly snarky and horrible right. most most uh, <laughs> good, good good proportion of the time. Just that what they like and dislike can change weekly. So if you're going through the bother of producing television for them, yeah, you're you're going to miss because they're not going to like it. What they were interested in two weeks ago or even a week ago may not be what they're interested in next week or a month from now when you can get a story or a serial into production. So you're you're Absolutely. always chasing vapor with that. And they're certainly not going to like something that they liked when they were seven. No. Because they despise their preteen self almost right. at the same level that they despise their parents. So Yeah, the teens will not look at what they looked at as a child until much later, until their 20s when they become nostalgic for the... The, the good life they had as their kids. <laughs> exactly. And I think, you know, um, for me, that's one of the kind of base problems of, of kind of 80s Who is I think Sawood especially. And I think Nathan Turner was, was kind of just flapping in the wind in terms of who he was working with. But I think they were just chasing after the wrong audience. Hmm. Um, and I think that's the reason. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think, as you said, you know, the, the reason why it worked so well in the seventies is because it was for it was for children, mm-hmm. and it was for adults watching with their children. Right. Um, and it wasn't for teens because teens are an, are an exclusionary audience. Mm-hmm. You know, because teens exclude younger children, right. and they exclude their parents. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, and I think Moffat 
geared the show again towards teens rather than towards family time. And I think it came, it crept in with the latter part of the RTD era, say mm-hmm. like with Water of Mars type yeah. drama where this is not... Torchwood. Yeah, well, Torchwood isn't Doctor Who, of course, but... The, that kind of adultness with inverted right. commas, which was the problem with Torchwood well, for it's, me, it's crept the, into Doctor Who at the same right. time. I think the word that we used earlier was gritty. Gritty, and gritty reboot, I'm yes. I'm not sure that Doctor Who is best when it's trying to be gritty. No. So. No, it's not. And, it, and again, it, but it also doesn't, you know, if it tries to be kind of happy and sunny and silly and ridiculous... Mm-hmm. Um, it has to be careful about doing that as right. well, and I, when it's done that, I, it's also fallen short in, in my eyes in, mm-hmm. in some ways, but certainly gritty is... It has to be careful when, it, when it's gritty. I mean, Hinchcliffe did gritty brilliantly because right. it was leavened by beautiful, friendly performances from its mm-hmm. lead actors well, at, uh, at that time. <laughs> yeah, could you imagine if Hinchcliffe was trying to direct uh, Tom Baker to be unlikable? I mean, it would have gone just... <laughs> opposite of his personality and what he believed the doctor should be towards children and i think this goes back to conversations we've had before you know but separating out who actors in between you know people who are acting apart mm-hmm. i.e., you could tell them to be dislikable right and people who are basically just being themselves mm-hmm. i mean tom baker is such a massively and you know again I'm, I'm sure he'd agree with me if he was listening he's such a massively insecure person like so <laughs> many actors he's desperate to be liked he was impossible for the doctor mm. to, to, to play dislikable because he wants to be liked by everybody well i think um, also it's just he believed he was a childhood hero for so many kids yeah, and he didn't want to be filmed or have pictures taken of him drinking smoking mm-hmm. he wanted to be that role model that trusted figure he took great pride in that he was the stranger that kids would come up to and talk to yeah. he was the doctor he is your friend you can trust him mm-hmm. and he took that responsibility to heart and i think you know obviously we could probably devote it in time with Slightly segued off the dogs, but there you go, a whole episode to, 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 to Tom Baker. Right. But again, I 100% agree with you. I mean, I think the, I mean, for all his faults, and you know, he's obviously a, a very eccentric and interesting man. Mm-hmm. He was the perfect on-screen and off-screen character. And I think what's fascinating, again, for me, you know, you know, knowing about Tom Baker and knowing, you know, he drank incredibly heavily you know, he hang, <laughs> hung around in soho you know, right. with francis bacon at the colony club complete bohemian mm-hmm. but none of that was known at the time none of that fell over into mm-hmm. his public persona at all he kept that completely secret and i think the press and the times also cooperated with him if he was this if we had the same actor now that's true as, yeah. you know tom baker was in the 70s we it would be all over tabloid tops yeah, uh, yeah. You know, the the press conspired with him for a good, clean doctor image in the 1970s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think actually in some ways, I mean, if you look at the culture of Soho in the 1970s, it was also a culture of the press as well. So mm. again, you know, the kind of people who were hanging out at the Colony Club, a lot of them were writing for the newspapers anyway. So right. it was like, well, he's one of us. Right. So we're not going to rat out someone who's actually one of our people. You right. know, and I think, you know, that kind of, you know, coziness and, you know, the idea that some things aren't public, that people do right. have a private life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sadly in our modern era, um, it's not so... No, it's not so much a thing that people believe is, is true anymore. Right. So there you go. Yeah. Mm. So 
Should we call it, call it a wrap for the Yeah, evening? that's some we've we've covered some excellent ground. I would like to listeners. talk more about the Daleks. We didn't really touch upon the eighties at all or new who Daleks, so let's do next week. Let's do let, let's let's do eighties and new who next week. Yeah. Uh, yeah, let's do that. Cool. All right, awesome. All right, so you've been listening to the Metabulous Two, episode eleven. Thank you for listening. And I am David. And I am And I am Ben. <laughs> and have a good evening or day or whatever time you're listening. And we'll, so. we'll, we'll join you again next week. Okay. All right. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Metabilis 2 podcast. You can reach us with email at metabilis2, number 2, at gmail.com or on Twitter at metabilis2. And again, that's at number 2. Hope to hear from you. Bye.